we're talking about understanding the dynamics of family in the context of rebuilding the walls. So the third, the third point of what I said, building and developing family. Thank you, guys. We've been talking about Nehemiah for such a long time now. We feel convicted that God is saying the way to rebuild a nation is build, by building it, the family. You build society by building families. You do not take a city unless you, you affect a family. Families are the stability of every society throughout the world. Yes? So that's the context if you're just tuning in this morning. So last week I, I used Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, which we'll look at further today. But, and then I, sorry, no, that was the week before. The, last week I used Romans 16, whereby I outlined key behavioral characteristics that are needed from the family of God. When we say family, let's talk, we're talking about brothers, we're talking about sisters, we're talking about fathers, mothers, we're talking about couples, and we're talking about households. Yes? That constitutes a family. And we need to help define what the family dynamics are and what's needed in this house. Because if we're going to take the family to the wall and help them rebuild, we need to help them, we need to help define what a strong family looks like. True? So we know exactly what we're building and why we're building it and how to recognize and celebrate it when we see it. Because it's, it's you can't just build, you've got to be able to celebrate to, in order to ascertain how far you are on the journey. Yes? So when you come through the church doors, you all came through the door this morning. You all, you didn't just kind of appear. But when you came through the door this morning, you were greeted with a sign. On the floor. What did that sign say? Is that what it says? No, it's not. No, it's not. No. You're very close, Julie. You're very close. No. So what do you just say? No. Welcome to church with a difference, not a church. Welcome to church with a difference. That might sound we're splitting airs, but it's not. If I say welcome to a church with a difference, straight away people are looking for exterior changes. When people look for a church, here we go, watch. They should be looking for a dynamic. But what dynamic they look for and what dynamic they should be looking for are two different things. Very often, when people come looking for a church, they look for, and this is the word they won't use, but this is the word that's inside them. I'm looking for better. Right? So there's a competition on. So there's going to be a, a judgment being made. Yes? I'm looking for better worship. Well, if they're looking for Hillsong, you didn't find it this morning. Right? Whatever your flavor is, you'll go looking for it. Yes? You might look for a great greeting. You might look for fantastic families who invite you back for dinner afterwards. And you might get, you just wanted a handshake. Or you're going to look for all those kind of things. 
But the one thing that people don't look for in a church is, oh, let me rephrase that, wind back. One thing people don't expect when they go looking for a church is them having to change. They want all these exteriors, but they don't want to be changed by them. They want to be blessed by them, but not by, don't want to be changed by them. So, if you came looking for a, a church with a difference this morning, then you're in the wrong place. Why? Because if this church is what you've, you've looked for, right? And, but you won't be changed by it, then this is not a church with a difference. You're always going to find a, you're always going to be looking for a church with a difference rather than just, Lord, lead me to church. And I'll see the differences with a, with a difference. Not a church. The emphasis is not on this. The emphasis is on the spiritual dimension. Can the people change in this atmosphere? Because every family needs an atmosphere. Every family has its own atmosphere. And in that atmosphere, they're either angry, they're either, they're either sedate, they're either complimentary or they're aggressive. Every family has its own atmosphere. You walk into a home and you can sense the atmosphere. Yes. You walk into some homes and you just feel it's a peaceful home. That's what the Bible says. If you find a house of peace, stay there. What does it mean? Atmosphere. That's the dynamic that we need in every family. We need an atmosphere. Amen? And we need an atmosphere where people can change. Yeah. We need an atmosphere where people willingly change. We need an atmosphere where people will willingly submit. We need an atmosphere where people will willingly get involved in the work of God. We need an atmosphere where people feel a sense of responsibility to do the work of God. Yes. Church is not Sunday morning. That's only one aspect of church. Amen? Church with difference should mean its people behavior change is different. If the people in this church are the same as any other church, you have not found a church with a difference. If we behave the same way as the guys on the street, then guess what? You definitely haven't found a church with a difference. So we need a church where people will change, people will grow, people surrender, people embrace one another. And to do that, you have to hit culture. You really do. So last week, I introduced you to some of Paul's companions. Some of Paul's companions understood that uh, we had Priscilla and Quilla. Yes, they were a couple who risked their lives for Paul. This was a couple with a difference. There were a couple who could help explain things more adequately, like Apollos with regards to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The need for the gospel, the need in the gospel is it must have continual truth. We need people like that in this house who can explain the ways of God. I don't mean mysteriously. I don't mean your opinions. I mean people who understand the word who can help raise others. Hello? But listen, if you can't be taught, then the chances are you can't be one of those teaching others. You have to be one who, who can be taught yourself. Priscilla and Aquila were under Paul. They were receiving from Paul, so therefore they could pass on to Apollos. Then we look at Epinetus. 
He was the first convert. Every work needs first fruits. It encourages everybody's heart when we see first fruits, doesn't it? Like when you, when you start talking about breakthrough and then you get a situation where babies are sick and then we prayed and then we see that miraculous hand of God turn situations around. It was very encouraging for us. It was a first fruit. Harry's one of those first fruits. Uh, Zine Tembe's daughter, a first fruit. And there's been others. They encourage us to keep on going. Yes? So every church needs first fruit breakthroughs. So this guy was important because he reminded Paul he was a breakthrough. Yes? Then we have Mary. Sweet old Mary. That's all she was. Mary, that's all we know her as. Mary, not the mother of Mary. This is just Mary who worked hard for you. A woman in the church who worked hard for the work. That's, if we're going to have a family, we need hard workers. We don't need members. We need hard workers. It's amazing. What do we have to do to be a member? Work. Work. Oh, you mean I don't just put my name on an lecturer? Work. If I don't see you work, you're not a member. We don't have membership in this church. We have partners. Partners work. Partners get involved. Then we have Andronicus and Junius, Paul's relatives. Family's important. If we're going to pray for family, then it's important that you know what's in your family. Amen? And these were people who were willing to go to prison with Paul. I'm not sure if Andy and Shirley is willing to go to prison. I'm not sure if I want to go to prison. But if I am, they've got to come with me. According to this scripture. Joke. I'm not going to prison. Done nothing wrong. Yet. But this is a family that was willing to pay the price to go to prison should Paul be sent to prison. And he did. So they did. Yeah? But notice what he said. They were outstanding. Paul really is bragging about their qualities. Do we have any outstanding people in our midst this morning? I asked you last week in the Dream Center, we have exceptional people. You went, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I said, do you know who they are? And you all went, oh, well, I'm one of them. <laughs> who told you you were outstanding? Well, I did. Of course you did. Do you know who the outstanding people are in the church? Do you know who the hard workers are in the church? Why? Because they're your family. Many people are hard working for themselves. They're not out working for you. They've not got your interest at heart. They've got their own. They're selfish. They're focused on themselves. They're not focused on the work of God. They're focused on their own achievements. That's not family. That can't be family. Family must think about others. Then we had Amphilatus, whom Paul loved in the Lord. Paul loved him in the Lord. It's beautiful to know that a man can love a man and it can be clean and pure. Yeah? It doesn't have to be none of that messed up, mucked up. Saying it's possible for a man to love a man and never touch him. Yeah? It's true. If you can't love anyone in this church, this church is probably not for you. We must love people. And some of us are not easy to love. You know why? Because we've made it difficult in our own lives to be loved. We've been hurt. So we're therefore hurting people, finish it off, hurt people. So it's very difficult to love some people because they put so many constraints on it. Well, guess, guess what? Love goes and it takes bricks out of people's walls. Yeah? Coffee doesn't. Love does. 
Coffee never built anything. Coffee never built anything. Love does. Coffee's good. Coffee's good. Let's let me just put that there. Coffee is good. We can use coffee. I think it might be needed. But coffee itself, you buy me a cup of coffee does not mean you love me. It just means you were generous to me. Yeah? Then we had Apelles and Aristobulus. Brilliant names. Beautiful names. He could have just put Bill, Ted, Jimmy, John, Frank. He didn't. Mary. He got Mary. That was good. It was good. These people, and this is where I really think this is a fantastic quality I'm looking for, I'm praying into, tested and approved people. Now, I love, what I love about God is God tests us when we don't know we're being tested. God will put situations across our path to see how we respond and how we react. And how your brothers and sisters respond and react to you will determine what you think and feel about your brothers and sisters. Yes? And God, you know, before you can sit on the throne, you've got to learn to clean it sometimes. And very often, we, don't, we think that job is someone else's job or it's beneath us. The throne meaning the toilet. That's what we use culturally say, the throne. Yes? But if someone can't take those kind of jobs, and God, and, you know, if someone has to ask you to do it, Sometimes you do need to be asked. I appreciate that. Other times, I used to, I always remember the, the experiment that they used to do in Tyson Foods, which was in a, a big American food company. And they used to drop, the managing director used to drop pa- paper on the floor and, then, and to see who would pick it up. And, the, and people would say, well, it's not my job. He says, wherever there's rubbish on the floor, it's everybody's job. And he used to look to see who would pick it up and who needed to be told to do it. And those people who did it, he knew they're the people I want in my company. Because they have a conscience. That's what we need in here, guys. What needs to be done just needs to be done. We don't need a committee, we just need willing people. Yeah? Then we had Trafina, Trafosa, and Persia. Women who worked hard in the Lord. Beautiful women again. So Paul, Paul wrote these letters and wrote this letter. Why? Because he had considered those who were in his household. He had considered the atmosphere that these people created in the house of God and in the work of God. He considered it and then he wrote their names down so that you and I could draw from their qualities. Amen? But very often when we read Romans 16, we just pass through it. But here he details these people and their qualities. So if I was writing a letter to the Dream Center and I was talking to the Lord to you, I was talking to the Lord about you. Gone quiet now. And I'm writing, James, yeah, and then there's Jimmy and then there's Dave and then there's, you know, there's Beard, you know, um, Bernard, sorry. And then there's, a te- I'm trying to use names that are not in here. So you don't think I'm talking about you to the Lord. I'm praying for you. And I am talking about you. And I'm saying, Lord, do a work. What, and if God asked me to give an account of the people in the house, it's good you have got Tipex. It's good you have got Tipex. But you see, the, Lord, the Lord's got Tipex because he can blot you out of his book. Now, the issue is this. Depending what stage of life you're going through, sometimes we make the grade and other times we don't. But the issue is, it's okay not making the grave for a period of time. But that period can't be years and years. 
some point in your life, you've got to start sorting yourself out and let others help you. Amen? So, I want to bring something to your attention this morning. And, and the guys, uh, these guys who Paul talked about, they had, Paul celebrated their commitment. He, he celebrated their thinking, their, their, their heart towards the work of God. Never once did Paul celebrate their church attendance. Never once. He commended them for their attitudes, their characteristics, their determination, their stickability, all the character traits that we need in the family of God. He never, he never celebrated their membership. He never did he celebrate their attendance. He celebrated their partnership. Partnership is what the church needs, not membership. Members are idle. Members complain. When I go to a football match, I see season ticket holders who, or, who call themselves mini-members. Then we have board members. And then we have shareholders. And all think they've got a right to say something and do something. But in reality, they all sit on the backside. But then there's the 11 on the field who make the club what it is, good or bad or indifferent. So Paul understood that these guys worked with a specific mindset. They believed and they behaved in principal practices. They believed and they behaved. Many of us have a belief, but we don't have a behavior. Our behavior does not match our belief. It's millions apart, millions of miles apart, I should say. So there must be a behaved practice, what comes from our belief. A behavior, a practice of our behavior, Stemming from our belief. Would you all agree with that? So, if you want to know a key family facet, it's a big word that, and these are my teeth. You want to know a key family facet, in other words, a characteristic, a dynamic that holds your family together. Do you know what it is? It's called the power of one. The power of one. Companies use this. Management, uh, tears, used and understand the principle of power of one. God is the instigator of power of one. I said God is the instigator. God started it before the managers caught hold of it. God understands three in one. God understands three in one. God Almighty himself thinks and practices in terms of the power of one. You get that? So we see here, Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. We read this last week, the other week. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now God, by writing this, can you not see God removes social classification? God removes cultural stigma. How? By grafting in believers into his name. Can you see this? His name meaning his son. His son is the body. So, so his body is then expressed as a church. Yes? So God takes Jew and Gentile, foreigner, an alien, and moves them into the power of one. 
He takes many individuals and moves them into the power of one. He brings them into himself. Can you see that? And not only does he bring them into Christ, then he brings them into a body. Why? Because the body is the proof and the window to see whether your belief and behavior match up. You're the church. And how the church behaves can be seen. So God puts you, uh, Christ brings you into himself. He brings Jew and Gentile, foreigner and alien. He brings them into himself, puts them in his son, in a body, which is the church. That church must have a function. So now he begins to see how this many, how this many one-membered seed begins to function with each other. I said to you, there are no Jew, Gentile, there are no foreigners and aliens in this church, which is, which is a strange, strange thing to say. Some are not here this morning, but we have nine nations represented in this house. And yet, though there are many nations, we're one. If you see colour, you see individuals. But if you see family, you see one. It all depends how you view your own family. Yes? You can adopt, you can adopt a child from another nation, but you don't call them a foreigner. You call them you want. So we, are we not all adopted sons and daughters? Of course we are. And God doesn't call me a foreigner. God doesn't say the English. God doesn't say you English, you Mancunians. God just sees me as a son. A legit, uh, so, uh, legitimate, not illegitimate, a legitimate son. So God removes social classification. God removes cultural stigma, background, and he puts you into his son, into his church, and he gives you a kingdom. Amen? But did you know? Here's a phrase I want you to understand. E pluribus unum. Now, if I said to you, E pluribus unum, did you read what that just said then? No, good. E pluribus unum means out of many, one. And that phrase is on every American coin. Ah. It's on every American coin. So I'll let you go back now. (coughs) Since 1782, that Latin inscription has been on every American coin. Every American coin. E pluribus unum. Now, the British Puritan separatists who sailed in 1620 on the Mayflower, history lesson, with 120 crew, set sail from Plymouth to New England. You all know that, don't you? Overnight, overnight, the indigenous Indian population became multicultural. Okay? They didn't get a vote. We were the first asylum seekers. The English were the first asylum seekers. Yes? So they let us in, helped us survive the winter. And very shortly after that, what happened? The Italians, the Irish, the Dutch, and every other nation began flooding into the New World. That's what it was called, the New World. And America, in a very short space of time, became multicultural. Did it not? Who's ever seen the movie Gangs of New York? More Irish than you can poke a stick at. So, 
If there's any nation apt to use that phrase, it's America. Out of many, one. Out of many, one. Now, we are many this morning, are we not? But are we one? Ah, That's the real issue. I'm glad you asked me about that. That is the real issue. Listen, population is very easy to do. Populating nations is easy to do. You leave one place and go to another. Population. Populating churches has become an easy thing to do for so many. But here's the issue. Population was never the issue. Can you create a system, a structure that governs behavior? Can you create a system? Now, here's the issue. Can you create a system that creates social, societal harmony? When you become multicultural in a church or in a nation, can you create a system that creates social harmony? Ooh. Can you create a system that brings total cultural tolerance? Ah. Come on. Think about this. Now, the America on the inside, she's multicultural, but on the outside, it's not hard to say that she's not one. She's definitely not one. But on the inside, she's multicultural. But on the outside, we can see she's not one. On the church, we're populated and multicultural. But on the outside, we still haven't become one. We still haven't worked on the family dynamic needed for kingdom advancement and city taking. It needs a dynamic. It's not enough to have multiculturals sitting in your church, can you create a system, a pattern for behavior? Oi. Now that takes the church with a difference. Don't think because a white man, a yellow man, an orange man, a green man, worships at the side of you, is your brother. That's not true. So Adam and Eve, God understands. Oh, let me back up a minute. Many families don't think or function in terms of them being one family, of being a family collective. Rather, they function with individuals wanting their own rights, their own thoughts, their own belief systems. That's culture. My rights. You let culture have its breath. You let culture stand in parliament and it'll only talk about itself. Its own rights. We're individual. We need our expression. But in the kingdom, God changes the emphasis. By bringing us all into one family, there's a different emphasis. It's no longer I. It's no longer on me. And this is the issue with culturalism in church, is that there's always the I and the me. There's never the we. So God, through Adam and Eve, God 
family dynamic, listen to this, he starts with one. From out of the one, he makes two. And then from the two, they then become the power of one. God starts with Adam. One. Out of Adam comes another one. Two. And then what do they do? You will leave your mother and father. The two then become one. So numbers don't become the issue to God. Numbers is not the issue. The issue is one. You'll become one. So in Genesis chapter 2, 21, he says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and a mother will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It wasn't a reason, there wasn't an opportunity here for woman to do her own thing. Hello? There wasn't an opportunity here for a woman to do her own thing. Straight away, God showed him, Adam, the pattern. Adam, you'll leave, you'll leave your mother and father, you'll cleave to your wife, and the two of you will become one. Well, I was doing fine without her. No, you wasn't. You were lonely without her. Ah, well, yeah, well, shut up, you was. You needed her. Right, okay. Now you need her. You better function as one. That's the key. The moment you function individually, and I got all the trouble in my marriage because I function as one individual. Not as one, as a couple. And God had to knock this out of me. He said, Tony, you're selfish. Yeah, okay. Cheers for that. You are. So when God created Adam, listen, he created him with capacity to be more than he was. He, capa- he created him with capacity to function in the, with the power of one. He's done the same with you through Christ. That's why he put you in a body. That's why the eye cannot say to the army, it doesn't need you. Why? Because he's put you in there and he's given you the capacity to do it. But your belief system and your individual preferences say, I don't want to. As long as there is, I don't want to, the body never functions as one. So then God plays this card a little bit further. He goes to Abraham or Abram. Abram is one seed. But then one seed is many. But at some point through his seed, a nation must become one under God. Yes? That means the household of Israel. So Genesis 17, 5, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. And I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Out of you is going to become many, but out of that many, I'll bring a nation. And that nation will be one. So God's always going after the power of one. Amen? Out of one man, many. Out of one ministry, many can be gathered. Yes? But out of that many, the ministry is to bring in the power of one. If you can't bring the power of one into a church, you you have failed in your ministry. 
It's not how many people I can preach in front of. It's how many lives we can change. And listen, preaching someone and getting them saved is not changing a life. That's only the start. Changing their nature and their habits is the work. Remember, they didn't do anything to receive salvation. Everything was given. So Ephesians, now we've read Ephesians 2, and we've read about the, uh, let me just go back, Uh, we're no longer foreign and aliens. Let me take you a few verses before that. Now you'll see the context of why he says what he says in Ephesians 2. So, for he himself is our, sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 14. He, for he himself is our peace. He has made the two one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Excuse me, is that still in the church today? The wall that's dividing, the wall that's still hostile towards cultures, towards change, towards authority. Is that still not in our church? I say our church and in the church, yes. But God says he's abolished it. Let's read on a little bit further. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two. Thus making peace. So the result in the church through what Christ has done, and if you, if you hop into that and stay in that, the result should be peace. But we don't have peace. We've got division. We've got individualism. And then he says this, uh, making one woman out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. There's still a massive work of reconciliation to be done between cultures in church. There's still a massive reconciliation work to be done between brother and sister, brother and brother, sister and sister, mother and father in the church. Work of reconciliation is not finished. It's still ongoing. Wow. One body reconciled both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, meaning Jew and Gentile, and peace to those who were near. For through him you will both have access to the Father by one spirit. So in the spirit, it's the access to bringing culture and reconciliation. Say, it, through the spirit, that's the doorway to bringing reconciliation to the indifference that we find in church. Can you see that? Through the spirit. Through the spirit. If I've got to convince you to love the guy next to you, that's not good enough. But if, it, if we're in the spirit, the spirit will witness what I'm saying. So through the spirit... If you, can stir the, if you can stir the spirits of men, they'll behave, their behavior will change. But if you knock the soul of a man, you'll, just, you'll get the soul manifestation. So we have, to open, we have to pay attention to the kind of atmosphere that we want to create in this family so that we can stir the hearts of men so that reconciliation can be brought on the earth. Hello? That's why so many times we sit down and talk with people. We have after interview after interview after interview, conversation after conversation, coffee after coffee, 
but there's no reconciliation. Why? Because all you've done is hit the soul. And when you hit the soul of a person, you, know, you get defense mechanisms. And they've been there longer than you have. Oy. So for he himself is our peace. He has made the two one. So when I look at John, if I see color, I see difference. But if I look to read the spirit of the man, I see he's my brother. Color has no bearing whatsoever. But if I'm in the soul and he's in the soul, all we'll see is our differences. It's true. Why, I should, why I'm better than him? Or why he thinks he's better than me? Or why he thinks we, you know, the white man's done the, the, the black man down? Or the black man has done the white man down? We'll always find a reason for contention. Well, there's enough history out there. But when, we're to, when we see a brother, not for his colour, not for his race, not for his background, but a, because of the same spirit who dwells in Christ also dwells in me, then we have fellowship. And there's a love. That's what God is after. Hey. Can you see this? So Romans 10, 12 says this. There's never, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. In other words, you're all scuffers. You're all sinners. Yeah? The same Lord is the Lord of all. And richly blesses all those who call on him. So let's get it right. Look at the person at the side of you and say there's no difference between you and me. The same Lord is the Lord of all. Come on. And he blesses, he richly, listen, and he richly blesses all those who call on him. So let me, so let me ask you a question. Do you call on the same Lord as I do? Right, then he'll bless you. Every believer in here has the authority and power to lead and bring their family, their many-membered family household, under one authority, under, one, under God. Everyone in here. Right? That's called godly leadership. We have been given all authority and all power to bring things that are out of alignment into alignment. So that gives us confidence we can go to the wall and fight for our families. Not fight with our families, but fight for our families. Amen? So, e pluribus unum, do you remember that word? E pluribus unum, uh, unum, unum, out of many, one. That is becoming our, that's going to become a motto in this house. Out of many, one. Out of many, one. So let's define the one. Let's look at the characteristics of what the one looks like in this house. Because then we know if we're still, if we are functioning under e Pluribus unum. It's Latin. It's not foreign. It's Latin, which makes it foreign. In other words, I've not made it up. Latin's no longer there no more. Why they ever spoke in Latin, I don't know. Why the Catholic Church still speaking it at times. Individualism and cultural mindsets with behavioral indifference has historically and presently is still destroying the church. It's destroying individualism and cult, individual cultural mindsets and their behaviors for all that brings is destroying the principal practice of e pluribus unum. Can you see that? Now, it's fine when we're talking about 
in general terms. It's fine when we talk about people looking for a church with a difference, right, and they don't want to change. But let's talk about you and me in this house. Because that's who we're talking to. We're not talking about people who are not here this morning. We can only talk to the people who are in front of us, can't we? So don't look around, just look at you. I'm talking to you. It's not a mystery. Now, let's remember the disciples had the same problem you and I had or have. The disciples were no different. They were what? Jewish. So they had a Jewish problem. Last time I looked, Jew is a culture. It's a culture. It's a nationality. It's a culture. Oh, Israel is the, is the nationality. Jew is the culture. They, they, they thought and behaved in terms of Judaism. That was their, they were stained with that. This Jewishness meant that everything they saw was interpreted through that Jewish filter. Yeah? So when you're an Englishman and you go to Spain, the first thing you look for is what's in your filter. English breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Cup of tea. Cup of tea, governor. Okay, okay, okay. No tea. Hola. No. Why do I go to Spain looking for my tea and my English breakfast and my English newspaper? Like, it, hello, it's Spain. Yes, but surely people eat English breakfast in Spain. Yes, English people. It's the same. Whenever we go, we take the filter with us. And the first thing we look for is a little piece of home. And when we get a little piece of home, we want a lot of home. And then we want home from home. True? That's why you have English shops in Spain. To cater for the English. That's why you have African shops in England. To cater for the African. That's why you have the Polish delicatessen for the Poles. Right? So we all look for what's in the filter. Then we bring that into the church. Of course we do. We don't get to the church and think, you can't have any of that stuff, leave it all at the door. No, you still come in and we still behave based on culture. <laughs> so Jesus understands this, sees this, and has to paint the bigger picture for them. So... The pastor sees this, understands this, and has to paint a bigger picture for them. Because I am determined to knock culturalism out of us. I know who you are and where you came from. We celebrate. I signed most of your passport photographs. I know where you came from. Right? But that's where you came from. We recognize that, we celebrate that, we enjoy that. That's not a problem. But don't let where you came from hinder where we're going and who you're going with. Or you just might get sent back to where you came from. Wherever you came from, that might be down the road. So Jesus has to paint this picture carefully, continuously, consistently, has to keep painting this picture. Do you still not understand after being with me so many days? Do you still not understand after being with me so many years in the dream center? Keep painting 
the picture. So we have to keep getting new brushes, new paint, fresh insight, different ways of saying it. Why? Until all our behavior becomes the expression of the family that we're supposed to become. But many churches won't hit this because they're scared of losing people. But can you build a church where people change? That's the issue. Because if people can't change, all you've got is a gathering. Ah, really? We're not, we're not after a gathering. I could give, listen, I could give some of this money away. I'll get a gathering dead easy. No, listen, the same gimmick I used to get them will be the same gimmick I have to keep on using to keep them. So the disciples had this Jewish problem. So Jesus says, look, I've got to shift this out of them. I've got to knock it out of them once and for all. Guys, I'm coming to announce Israel, the emphasis of Israel, and this is contention in the church today, the emphasis of Israel has shifted. I am shifting the emphasis of Israel to the kingdom. But so many churches today think that if they keep praying for Israel, if they keep sowing Israel, get every Jew saved, that's, they'll get the favor of God. Now, if God does put Israel on someone's heart, then that's where they'll get the favor. How you get the favor of God is not just by going to Israel. You get the favor of God by doing what he asks you to do. And being faithful to that. But this assumption that Israel is the only nation in God's heart is wrong. Hello? It's not. So the church, the American church and the English church traditionally has gone down the Israel route. It has. So the white church, I'll call it white. It's not all white, but we'll call it. I want to distinguish from the rest of the world. The Americans and the English have gone down that road. And it's caused a lot of controversy. It has. Now we see every individual continent has its own cultural thinking. We know that, don't we? So Jesus had to keep painting this picture. The current cultural mindset of many pastors and believers is shifting more and more on how to make their church big. Because if I can build a big church, I'll prove them a success. Rather than can they get their people to grow and go with what they know. That's the, the issue is, can what they, what they grow and what they know, can it impact their environment? There's just as many broken families in the church as there are outside. Why? When we have the answers. So to think in terms of Israel is wrong. To think, why? Because it's one culture and one household. Yeah? The emphasis is not on one in that context. The emphasis is on the world. Jesus made that very clear that the emphasis is going to all the world. Yes? <coughs> the emphasis is not on us. Sorry, the emphasis is not on me. The emphasis is on the we. Yeah? Now, we behave very similar to the way the early church behaved. And something has to break in to change that thinking. Not something, someone. 
That someone is Christ. Has to break in. We're okay talking about these things as long as it's somebody else, somebody else's nation, but we must bring this into our own local house. The reason why Paul writes making those comments about the different households in Romans 16 is their behavior was completely different. They'd moved away from this Jewish problem. They had moved away. The disciples had the Jewish problem and those around them at that time. But this group of people had moved, transitioned out of cultural mindset. And they began to see that the kingdom was not Israeli. They began to go and break the boundaries of culturism that, that Gentiles can be saved. That changed everything. That was massive. So the present day churches very often think in terms of cultural preference and how they can advance their personal cultural preference. Yeah? So, for many years, I remember, many of you will remember those who, I'm talking about those who have been in England for 30, 40, 50 years, will remember the predominant emphasis on missions in our nation by charities, churches, and other people was always to go to Africa. You know, as, as a little kid in school, it was always think about the needy, think about the poor, think about those people who were less fortunate than you, and so that our conscience of missions was developed through looking at Africa. Is that true? Fair comment? And as a result, it's difficult to quantify how much money's been given. But, you know, irrespective of how much money's been given, billions and trillions still need to be given. True? Now, it was good to bring us to a point of where we became aware as a nation. Is that, is that not true? It's good to be made aware of what's going on in somebody else's backyard. Thank God for BBC News. BBC News has made, has made, has made a tremendous impact in our nation, showing us current affairs, international affairs, and giving us guys on the ground who can show us all kinds of situations, which then moves the people's hearts to give. Yes? But out of what's given, what's built? That's the issue. Not how much has been given, but what has changed, what has been built on the ground is a reflection of whether we were just moved in our soul or whether we were led by the Spirit. Yes? Because a hole is a hole. Unless you have a strategy to fill a hole. And you know, just giving food to people, you know, that is a hole that will keep you there forever and ever and ever. Amen. Is it a need? Absolutely. But is it, it's a need that will cripple you. Because you can't fill it. It's an ongoing. Why can't you fill it? Because it's a hole that needs to be filled by economics and politics. Now, it took us a long time in our nation to understand that. And we got moved by what we saw not by how to strategize how to affect a nation. But did we keep on giving? Absolutely. However, then we began to discover the 1040 window. What? 1040 window is longitude, latitude on a map. And all the nations in the 1040 window, if you look at that map there, are the most impoverished nations in the world. So now you've got India. 
You've got parts of the Philippines. You've got different aspects of the world now. What, it's not just Africa? No. In fact, what's going on in Africa is only one aspect of what's going on in the world. The world is impoverished. Culture is imploding. It's imploding. It's not working. Why? Because as long as I've got culture, people think in terms of me, myself, and I. So if we can get E Pluribus Unum back on, into the church to think about the we, how can we, who are the one, begin to affect a nation we now strategize with key people on the ground? Rather than how I can benefit than me, myself, and I. Missions has to change. Missions has to change. Then we discovered the Francophone-speaking world. What? That's the French-speaking people around the world. And they have needs as well. And all of a sudden, our picture of, of missions begins to widen. Then Asia is another continent on its own. China. The church, what's going on in China? Then we get the Middle East. What's, what's God doing in the Middle East? And our global perspective of missions has to change. But it will never change unless we become the power of one. Because God can channel strength and resources through the power of one. Rather than me build my ministry. Now, unfortunately, when I look in the US, and I look in England, I see a disturbing, rising animal arising out of our nation. And I see those nations who have come to England for better lifestyle are still thinking in terms of me, myself, and I. Rather than thinking in the, in the power of one. Come on, let's think about this. I see Filipino churches, Chinese churches, Ghanaian churches, Nigerian churches, and you can keep going on. You can keep going on in the UK and the US especially, and they see their nation as the only mission field. See, when I was young, my grandfather would say, pardon the expression, what the bloody hell are we spending money into Africa for? We should be putting money into our own nation. Grandad, have a sense of compassion. Never mind compassion. Think about people here. Think about there. So my granddad's generation couldn't see. We began to see. And then we got stuck into a tram line. And now those nations who are coming into England still think in terms of individualism. They're still not seeing the world. And God is bringing us full circle. Go into all the world, not just your own nation. Go into all the world. And take the gospel. So, Honesty moment. You know, listen. Who are we as a house? Who are we really? Who was the person at the side of you? Have a good look at them. I'm not talking about your wife or your husband now. Look at the different cultures in the church. And look at them and say, who are you? Go on, have a good look. Who are you? And that question goes both ways. Come on. Who are you? Who, who, who are you really? Who are you really? Not, not, who are you? That's arrogance. Who are you? Who are you is, is an arrogance. You're going to get, you'll know who I am in a minute. I'll give you a five-fold ministry. But who are you? Well, a good answer would be, 
I'm your brother from another mother. I'm your brother from another. I'm the brother you always wanted. I'm your sister you've always wanted. Who are we? Who are we in the dream center? Next question. Once I've decided who and determined who we are, uh, who, who are you, then I can say to John, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? Ah, we? I thought I was, I thought I was on my own. No. Who are you? Will then open the door to determine who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? Church, we've got to get here. We've got to get to this place. You've got to look at your brother and the sister in your eye and say, who are we? Who are you? Who are we becoming? So once I've asked myself who we're becoming, can we make it together? Can we get there together? We can. But you've got to define who you are. I, no man is an island. Unless he's called Madagascar. Hey. The issue is, who are you? You can answer that question as an individual, or you can answer it based on what Christ did. He made the two one. He's put me in, a, he's put me in, in Christ. He's put me in a body. And I have the ministry of reconciliation. I have the power to break down the divided walls, the cultural mindset. I have the power to open up my heart and my home to you. Now, one of the things we found about foreigners and aliens coming into our nation, it really wound the stuffing out of many English people. Generations before, my grandfather didn't like the idea of new people coming into England because he fought for a white England. Granddad, you're going to have to go home with that attitude. Now, granddad, you could die peacefully and gracefully, or we can send you home. Because your attitude is going to get you in trouble. I've got a father-in-law who still thinks like that. That's a generational mindset. And I have to say, Jack, Jack, what? You're Scottish. You're an asylum seeker in England. Shut up. I married your daughter. I did you a favor. <laughs> ah, well, yeah, yeah, well, because we're part of us. Yeah, but for hundreds of years, you didn't see part of us. Yeah, and now you still don't want to be part of us. So we might have to take your version of us somewhere else. Why? Because the majority of us don't think like you. Every time I see Nicholas Sturgeon... I see a divisive woman. <laughs> I won't tell you what I was. No, I won't, I won't go there. I won't go there. I won't go there. It's not good for public ears. It'll go on CD then. <laughs> Seriously, pray for Scotland because she's stirring up nationalism. The questions that they couldn't answer in the first referendum, they still won't answer in the second. So, God bless Scotland. And all who sail in her. All I'll speak to Scotland is E plebis unum. Out of many, one. Like I said to the father in law, 
you want to be really grateful that we let Andy Murray put a GB t-shirt on. I said, when are you lot ever going to get medals if you don't put a t-shirt on? He winds him up. As you can see, there's good friendly banter in, in my family, being Scottish. Scottish, yeah. E pluribus unum. Do we understand what it means? Out of many, one. Out of many. So who are you? Well, I'm one. We are many, but I'm one. Who are you one with? Hopefully you. With him. Now, listen, that's the, that's the connecting point. That is the connecting point. Don't be one with me if you're not one with him. How can two walk together unless they agree? You're not connected to the same source. You ain't with me, you and I ain't going anywhere. See, when I look at John, I know who, what we're becoming because I see Christ in him. I've got to look for Christ first. Now, if you're looking to, you're trying to bring your family into that one, that power of one, you be Christ to your family. Let them see Christ and then things will begin to change. So we've got to ask ourselves that question. Who are we? What are we becoming? Are we any different from the confusion and the contamination that is already in this world? And if the answer to that is yes, I'm going to say, how is your behavior any different? You're going to be able to answer your own. Let's stand to our feet, please. Because I could go on. You know that. You know me long enough now. To know that there's more in the house. I'm hoping that this is, is reaching you out there. I'm hoping by keep talking about this family dynamic and what's needed in this house, behavior is the key thing. If you keep on doing what you've always done, then guess what? This house will always be what it, you want it to be. But there's a group of us here that want something different and believe for something different. But listen, wanting and believing is only one aspect. But this group will actually move towards that to change the patterns in our lives so that we become uh, uh, e pluribus unum, the power of one. So get American coin and have a look now. Yeah, e pluribus unum, the power of one, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Ghost, one. Their oneness came to a, to a Gentile. It came to a Jew. Out the two, Became one. Why? Because the one already existed. The one already existed. Christ. He brought the Gentile and the Jew into one. And that's reflected and seen through the church. But the church, out of its many, still has not found the power of one. So we need to come back to this power of one and keep talking about this power of one because this is the only thing that will determine whether we do become church with a difference. Power of one. Behavior and thinking is everything. Amen? So let's raise our hands if we will. Father, we, want, we believe in the power of one. We are many, but we must become one. Christ must dwell in every heart. 
Christ must have the authority in every person's life. Christ must fill every home, every street, every nation. Christ must do that. Lord, you're looking for a company of one. Not numerically, but spiritually. One. A nation under God. One nation under the hand of God. Father, we ask you, Lord, to do a work on our hearts. Come on, church, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work on our hearts. Prepare me for this work, Lord. Do this work on me. Let this work, let Christ be in me. Let this work of God be on the inside. Let my attitudes, even the way I think and come into the church, Lord, don't let me think and behave culturally. Let me integrate. Let me bring others into my world. Father, I ask for you to do a work in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation.